Good morning, church. Good morning, church. Wow, this is awesome. The, the scripture that Anu read is also part of my message today. Isn't it wonderful how God just coordinates everything? <laughs> okay, so um, today we're going to be talking about a topic that I think the church really needs to hear. It's such an important message for the church. And it's kind of like an offshoot of what Pastor preached last Sunday. It feels like a continuation almost. Today we're going to be talking about divinely powered. Divinely what? Powered. Okay, before we get into it, um, we're going to say our confession and then we're praying before we get into the word. Can we stand up? There's something that we do in RG. <laughs> when we're saying our confession, um, Oyeka taught us to put our hand on our chest. <laughs> okay, can we do it? Just bear with us. Put our hands on our chest. We're going to say the RG confession. This is the word of God. It is God speaking to me. My ears are attentive. My heart is receptive. As I'm taught the word, the seed of life will be planted. It will surely grow deep roots, and it will produce its fruit in me. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for this opportunity to stand here today, God, to preach your word. Thank you because... Wherever two or three are gathered in your midst, God, Lord, Lord, you're right there. And we thank you because your presence is already here. We are carriers of your presence. So, Lord, we thank you, God, because in this place, your word will go forth with boldness and power. And it will make the impact in each and every one of our lives, God. That, Lord, that our eyes will be opened, our eyes of understanding will be opened to hear today what you have to say to us. And that there will be a transformation that happens after God in our daily living. In Jesus' name we are praying. Amen. Divinely powered. So RG Friday, which was this past Friday, we were talking about just do it. And in that topic, we, we kind of broke down. There are a lot of things that God put in our hearts instructions he has given us, things he has said in his word, promises he has given us. And he's asking, when are you going to do it? When are you going to do it? I'm waiting on you. So we talked about just doing what God has called us to do, right? But now we're going to talk about the how. How do you actually do those things God has called you to do? How do you walk in the promises of God? How do you do it? Because a lot of times it looks like we're fighting, fighting with our flesh, struggling just to do what God has called us to do. And it can be tiring and frustrating, right? How many of us have been there? Okay, only me. <laughs> okay, it's, it's only anti-happiness and me. Okay, and Uncle too. So... A lot of times it can be frustrating because you really want to please God. You really want to do what God wants you to do. But you're just like, God, like how? I'm trying here. But it gets frustrating. Like I feel like I'm always failing. But God is going to teach us today how to do it. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. 
So our anchor scripture for this weekend is uh, Philippians chapter 3, chapter 4, verse 13. It says, for I can do what? You guys are not reading the, you're, you're reading the version that is in your head. <laughs> I can do what? Through who? Who gives me strength? I can do everything. It doesn't say I can do some things. It says you can do all things, everything, meaning that there's nothing left out. I can do everything through Christ, not through my ability, not through um, somebody else, not through putting our faith, like Anu said, in the um, you know, United States or another nation, not through any of that, but through Christ, because Christ is the only source of strength. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. So today we're going to talk about three main points. The first one is you've got all you need. We touched on this on Friday, but we're going to repeat it again because it's good to hear it. We, you've got all you need. And then the second one is it's not you, it's me. It's not you, it's me. And we'll dive a little bit deeper into that because it, it might seem a little confusing, but we'll understand it. And then the last one is relax, rest, and live. Praise the Lord. You've got all you need. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 to 4 says, By his divine power, God has given us everything. Here comes that word again, everything. God doesn't leave anything out. He says, By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desire. So I don't know how many of you, like as you're reading scripture, how many of you highlight, you know, the words that stick out to you? How many of us? Okay, yes, maybe, maybe so. <laughs> okay, I see one strong hand over there. Somebody is confident over there. Everybody else is not confident that they highlight something. But it's, it's good to underline, highlight some things because the Holy Spirit can be revealing some things to you as you're reading scripture. And we really need to turn it over in our minds to understand what it's saying. It says, by his divine power, God has what? Given. That's the first given. And then in the part, if we read further down, it says, and because of his glory and excellence, he has what? Given. Is it up there? It's up there, right? He says given twice. When God emphasizes something, it means that he wants you to know that. He wants you to understand that he has given he hasn't left anything out. God is telling us, I have given you these things by my divine power. And then it says, and because of his glory and excellence, God does things excellently well. So when God planned the world, he made sure that everything was provided. And he said, this is good. So when he has given you his precious promises, he has given us everything. 
He makes sure that we are excellently provided for. And he also says, this is good. He doesn't give you raw or uncooked food. So I have some pictures of, if we look at um, the picture that it will show in a moment, it's like uncooked potato. When you look at that, is it, is it edible at this point? Can you eat that? No, right? Let's see the next picture. This one is at least cut. Can you eat that one? Does it look cooked? Okay, but God doesn't give us raw things, uncooked things. He makes sure it's fully loaded and cooked, well done, and he puts Jara on top. So let's have the other picture. Isn't that nice? Isn't that amazing? Let's have the second one. Wow. This one has like everything you can imagine in it. Isn't that what you want rather than the uncooked one? But God has said, I've given you everything, meaning that he has placed in everything that you need. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19 to 20, it says, I pray that you will continually experience the immeasurable greatness of God's power made available to you through faith. Then your lives will be an advertisement of this immense power as it works through you. This is the mighty power that was released when God raised Christ from the dead and exalted him to the place of highest honor and supreme authority in the heavenly realm. I pray that you will continually experience. You know, in this life, I don't know, sometimes I just ask God, like, God, like, man, we should be continually experiencing these things that you have said in the word. It's not just for, you know, those people in Bible times. It's not for Paul's times. It's not for the Old Testament times. Right now, we should be experiencing a greater measure of God's power, of all that God has. Continually experiencing the immeasurable greatness of God's power. That's what God is telling us. I really want us to reflect because even me too, I'm reflecting over my life. I really want us to reflect and see how we experiencing God's power on a daily basis. We tell ourselves we are set apart from the word, the world. We're not like everybody else. We're, we're not ordinary. We are extraordinary people. But are we ex- experiencing extraordinary things? That's a question that we have to ask ourselves every single day. God, am I experiencing your promises? Am I experiencing your goodness? Am I experiencing all that Jesus paid for me to have? Really, like if you're not asking yourself that question, you're just living your life just anyhow and just, okay, today will come, I'm just living, tomorrow will come, I'm just living, then you just be like everybody else. You have nothing to offer, really. You really have nothing to offer to the world. And how do we continually experience this power? It says it's been made available to you through faith. I remember a couple years ago, pastor preached a sermon called Faith Activates the Power of God. Faith. And sometimes faith feels like this big, big thing. But it's simply just believing. 
it's not this whole spiritual, of course, it, it, you know, like it's spiritual, but it's, it's really in, in common language, it's just believing. And God says he has made this available to you through your believing. What do you believe? Faith activates the power of God. And then it says, after you believe this, after you believe that the power of God has been made available to you, then your life will be an advertisement to the entire world of this immense power. Continually experience this power through faith. It's been freely given. Just like we read at the beginning, God has given you everything. So the power has been given. You access this power by faith, not by being good, not by doing and doing and doing. When I was growing up, um, you know, although they were, try- they were really, really trying to help us grow spiritually, but it was the wrong way. And I think even Broke talked about it, um, said it last week. But it was not only for your generation. It was also for ours, those who grew up in Nigeria, right? It was a very legalistic, you know, way of teaching us. They were telling us, oh, if you're not good, you're going to, you're going to, God is going to send you to hell. So you have to make sure that you're good. You have to make sure that you're, you're doing everything the way that you're supposed to do, do it. And for me, that created a sense of fear. Approaching God was a fearful thing to me because I, in my head, I was like, I don't know now if we'll think I didn't do well. So I will always start off with, God, forgive me. God, forgive me. I'll say it multiple times like a mantra. But God is telling us it's not experiencing all of these things that he has, you know, freely given us. It's not by our works. It's not by anything that we can do because even before we came to know him, he gave it to us. For God so loved the world that he gave. And then it says, even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So you were already struggling and God decided that he was going to die anyway. (laughs) So now... Is really what you have left to do is just to receive what he has given you. You have nothing else to do. It's just simply believing that God made this power available to you, and then you act with that knowledge. So pastor taught us last week, who remembers the point? This is uh, examination. What, What is the first one? Say it. Second, act it. Third, Receive it, and the fourth one is what? Tell it. And you go back, you do it over and over again. Say it, act it, receive it, tell it. You do this by saying the word of God, and then you act like it is so. You act it out. Even when you don't feel like it. There's a lot of times when I don't feel like it, and I'm like, God, can I do this? He's like, you can't. I can do everything through Christ who strengthens me. You can't do it. So last year, there were certain things that I wanted out of my life, habits and patterns I didn't like. And um, 
So I will always go to God and pray. I'm like, God, like, help me, help me, help me. Every single time I will come to uh, God in prayer, it felt like I was just asking him for help. Lord, help me. I need your help. I need your help. Um, and in our books, that seems like a good prayer because we need God's help, right? It seems like a good prayer. But it wasn't. It really wasn't. I told God, help me overcome these things. Um, it became constant. So one day as I was like lamenting to God, like, God, like, I don't know why I'm failing all the time. I don't know why I'm always doing these things. And I was just lamenting to God. And God said something to me that quieted me. He said, the help I provided, what are you doing with it? You keep asking me to help you, help you, help you. But you're not acknowledging the help. I've provided. You keep focusing on the things that you're doing wrong. You come to me, you complain about, oh, I failed here, I failed in this, I failed in this. And you just tell me all the things you failed in. But the one that I'm helping you with, have you acknowledged it? But do you know that we, we do that a lot? We go to God and we say, like, this is not working, that is not working, this is not working. We, we have a long list of things that are not working, but we never acknowledge the one that God is doing. It says God works all things for the good of those who are called according to his purpose, who love God and are called according to his purpose. He walks all things for the good. So even in the midst of you, not seeing that good, they are still good. So you start acknowledging the good that God is doing. Because when all of these things are happening, the enemy wants to focus you. Oh my goodness. He wants to focus you on the things that are not working out well, whether it's in your life, in your family, you know, around you, in your environment. He wants to put your eyes there. So that it would just be like, it's a picture every single day. So you have nothing else to say but what is happening. But can we switch our view from what is happening to what is happening spiritually that affects the physical? So in 1 John chapter four, 5 verse 4, it says... For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Whatever is born of God. Are you born of God? You are born of God. So it says that you overcome the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world. It is your faith, your believing. And I'm included. So when I'm saying your, I'm also included. Praise the Lord. So it is your faith that overcomes the world. Because if you believe that you're born of God, you believe the things that God has deposited inside of you. You believe the things that Jesus paid for you to have. You believe that it's yours. It actually belongs to you. On Friday, we covered a lot of times like, it's not that we don't know what scripture says. We know it. We can quote it. We can quote what scripture says. But it's just that we haven't fully 
embraced it as ours. We're like, yes, God has given all these things. God has done this. God has done that. But when it comes to our daily living, we haven't fully embraced it as, yes, this is mine. This belongs to me. And a lot of the reason, Pastor hit it on the head. The reason why oftentimes is because of that sense of unworthiness. We feel like we're not worthy enough to receive these things because the way that we're grading ourselves is by our actions, the things that we have done, whether we have met up. And we judge ourselves based on that. But God is saying, no, even before you came, I already died. So it's not based on your actions, but the enemy wants to focus you on your actions. Even for me, you know, he'll say, oh, a whole minister like you. See, like, we all have things that the enemy whispers in our hearts. But we have to rise up because God has given us Jesus, our righteousness. So we rise up and say, no, I didn't put myself here. God did it. I didn't make myself a child of God. God did it. And he wasn't looking at my, my worthiness. He was looking at Jesus. And that's the confidence I have in getting a hold of what belongs to me. Right? Okay, let's continue on. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 12 to 14, it says, I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you. For his name's sake, I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. I write to you, little children, because you have known the father. I have written to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the wicked one. Doesn't it seem repetitive? Like he's like listing these things over and over again. I write to you, children, fathers, young men, and then he repeats it again. I write to you. Because probably in that, in that church, right, they have forgotten. They've probably forgotten. We need reminders sometimes. You have overcome the wicked one. You have overcome the world. You do know the father. He's your father. First John chapter 4, verse 4 to 6 says, You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world. And the world listens to them. We are from God. And whoever knows God listens to us. But whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. You are from God. You have overcome the world. And then I love the part where it says, the greater one is in you. Jesus, the one who overcame the world, the one who overcame sin, I think in Colossians chapter 2, around that 15, it talks about how he made a public spectacle of them. 
the enemy, sickness, whatever it might be, anything that is contrary to God, he made a public display of them and defeated them, triumphed over them by the cross. We have the victory. And then 1 John chapter 4, verse 4 says, But you belong to God, my dear children. You have already won a victory over those people. Because the spirit who lives in you is greater than the spirit who lives in the world. Again, repetition. Let me just remind you. You have the victory. You have God living in you. You have the power of God ablaze in you. We have to, like, I, I feel like you guys should be excited. Like, there's no excitement right now. <laughs> I don't feel any excitement. You have the power of God in you. Praise the Lord. We should be excited about that. Wow. Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of love, lords, lives in me. That makes me excited. So I walk with confidence wherever I go because I know who's going with me, the greater one. Praise the Lord. So even in, in front of those challenges, it will challenge you. I was telling them on Friday that everything has a mouth. Everything has a mouth. It wants to speak. Whether it's sickness, <laughs> the cha-cha-cha. <laughs> whether it's sickness, whether it's pain, whether it's a challenge, financial, like not having enough money, whatever it is, it has a mouth. It's always talking. But we, children of God, we should be talking more. We should be talking more. We should be telling it how it is. Because they want to tell us falsehood, lies. But we know that God's word is the truth. It carries incredible power. So we speak like oracles of God. We speak the way that God speaks. God doesn't stutter when he speaks. He knows exactly what his purpose is, and he's speaking it because he's, I'm surely going to see that thing. I'm going to see it. I don't care what it is. I'm going to see it. Because you notice that even in the beginning, when God spoke, it was, it, it was darkness. There was nothing around. But God said, let there be light. He didn't say, oh, oh my goodness, there's so much darkness. Oh, there's so much, you know, the water is covering the earth. He didn't speak all of that. He said exactly what he wanted to see. Aren't we children of God? So we should be talking like that. We should be talking like God. So in light of all of this, that God has given us all of these things, his promises, his power, there should be a response. This is what 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5 says. It says, in view of all of this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. Make every effort. Not just try a little. It says, make every what? Effort to respond to God's promises. Because, you know, when we came to Christ, we didn't have to work. We just believed, right? After we came to Christ... There is work that needs to be done. Because even in Hebrews, it says labor to enter his rest. 
And the laboring you're doing is not by physically like, oh, I have to make sure. I have to make sure. No, it's, there's a work of confessing that you have to do. You continually confess the word of God over your life. And do you know as you're confessing it, faith comes because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So the more you confess the promises of God, you're actually what? You're hearing it. And so it gingers your faith. It activates your faith to come alive. Because we heard, say it, then act it. But before you even act it, it it's like that saying it that, you know, pushes you to do it. That saying it pushes you to believe what you're saying. It says, make every effort to respond to God's promises. There are two types of responses, passive and active. Active says, let me grab a hold of what belongs to me. Passive says, let me just wait for God to put it in my hands. Let me wait for him to unwrap the present. Let me wait for him to open it. And let me, let me wait for him to do everything. So we stay in this waiting position, waiting and waiting and waiting. Waiting and waiting and some more waiting. And God is saying, when are you going to take hold of what I've actually given you? God is, God is a perfect gentleman. He's not going to force you. He's not going to push you. Okay, I go, I go. He's a perfect gentleman. He, you know, the Holy Spirit will come and say, you know you have these things. Right? You know you have these things. But now you yourself have to say, yes, I have these things. I'm going to walk in it. So there's something that God said to me um, that I think is very important for the church to hear. Is in Zechariah chapter 5 verse 1 to 2. And I think I stumbled upon this scripture uh, through the verse of the day on the, the Bible app. And I just read the context and it seemed like throughout the chapters of Zechariah, the angel of the Lord was asking him one question continuously. It says in Zechariah chapter 5 verse 1 to 2, I looked up again and I saw a scroll flying through the air. What do you see? The angel asked. I see a flying scroll. I replied, it appears to be 30 feet long and 15 feet wide. And I was reading that and it was just very interesting to me. But God said something to me that like blew my mind. He says sight is very important. Sight is very important in your response. Because you can respond in, a, um, you know, in alignment with what God is saying if you don't see what he's saying. You get what I mean? So he said the spiritual eye is far more superior than the physical. What you see is what you get. If what you're seeing does not resemble that which God sees, you will get it. Just as the opposite is true. Faith comes with sight. Faith comes when we see something. God faith comes by revelation. That's the spiritual sight. 
while human natural faith comes by sight as well. Have you heard the saying, seeing is believing? The pathway to get faith is to see, because what you see determines what you believe. If you have seen something enough, it will seep into your heart, and then all areas of your life will reflect that if you're not careful, depending on what you're seeing, right? So faith requires sight, revelation. That's why that prayer in Ephesians, that God will open our eyes of understanding. It's not your physical eye that you're going to use to see what God is seeing. It's your spiritual eye, right? When revelation comes, there's light. The entrance of the word brings what? Light and understanding to the simple. So sight is important in your response because whatever you're seeing is how you're going to respond to what God is saying. So here's what we ought to see. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17, it says, But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. In uh, 15, verse 45, it says, The scripture tells us the first man, Adam, became a living person, but the last man, the last Adam, that is Christ, is a life-giving spirit. So connect those two together, right? It says, Whoever is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Who's the Lord? I need response. It will help me. Who's the Lord? Okay, Jesus is the Lord. And then the second scripture says, the last Adam, that is Christ, is the life-giving spirit. So that means that in you, you have the life-giving spirit. And then in 1 Corinthians, the, the way that AMPC um, says it is that the first man, Adam, became a living being, an individual personality. The last, man, the last Adam, Christ, became a life-giving spirit, restoring the dead to life. You were once dead, but now you have life. So 1 John chapter 4, verse 9 says, this is how God showed his love. Among us, he sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. And then in um, 9 um, AMPC, it says, In this the love of God has uh, been made manifest, displayed, where we are concerned, in that God sent his son, the only begotten son or unique son, into the world so that we might live through him. So everything is just pointing to who? Jesus. It's all pointing to Jesus. He's the life-giving spirit. He lives in you so that we might live through him. So we are going to our next point. It's not you, it's me. Not me physically standing here, but it's God. It's not you, it's God. So that's what God is telling you. It's not you, it's me. It's not you that does the work. Is me that does the work. Philippians chapter 2 verse 13 says, For it is God who works in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. And then Isaiah 45, 22 says, Let all the world look to me for salvation. Let all the world look to who? Me for salvation. God for salvation. For I am God 
there is no other. I am God, there is no other. Let all the world look to me for salvation. It is God who works in you, both to will and to do of his good purpose. So when you're facing that challenge and it is looking you in the eye and it's telling you, well, you can't do this. Well, this is going to happen. You know, and it shows you all, it shows you all of these things that are happening around you. What, what do you say to it? Oh, wow, we don't know the response. Praise the Lord. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's telling you, it's you. Look at you. Like, you can't do all these things. But you say, no, it's not me standing here. As in, the physical me is Jesus who's standing here. So it is possible for what? For this thing to be defeated. And it is defeated already. I just want us to get, so the whole point of all this stuff is, is just for us to get the idea that we should stop looking at ourselves as our physical self because we fall into that trap of just, oh, it's Adana. So we think of Adana, the things that Adana does. But no, start thinking of yourself like God. It is God who's standing here. It is God who's walking across the stage because his spirit lives in me. And what does Psalm say? It says, you are God's. You are God's. That is our identity. Your physical identity is not that you came from Ihoma. <laughs> you know, Yes, you were born there, but that's not your physical identity. You know, we, we tie our identity to, oh, we came from, the, I'm Igbo, I'm Yoruba, I'm this, I'm that. You know, yes, God displayed his excellence in creating us diversely. But that is not what our identity is tied to. It's tied to God. It's tied to Jesus. So when we come together as the body, we say we are the kingdom of God. We are the people of God. We are the nation of God. Nation under God. Praise the Lord. So we need to start changing the way we think about ourselves because we have been indoctrinated to hold on to this, you know, like I'm from here, I'm from there. Like I speak this language, I speak that language. But God is like, no, that's just beneath you. Like that's like just me expressing myself. But can you come up a little higher and think of yourself like me? You are God's. In Zechariah chapter 4 verse 6, it says, Then he said to me, this is what the Lord says to Zerubbabel, It is not by force nor by strength, but by my spirit, says the Lord of heaven's armies. It was never about you. It will never be about you. So remove yourself from the equation. It's always been about God, about Jesus being glorified. The power that God has deposited in you, I actually use the word invested in you, yields great harvest. Just like when you invest your money into the stock market, you expect a return on your investment. There's also the risk of losing your money when you invest, right? 
So when you invest, you count the risk, the cost, and the reward, and which one, whichever one is more, that's what makes you decide whether you invest or not, right? So God invested his most prized possession, Jesus, into the world. Think of it like this. He sold the word into the world. Whichever heart is fertile, the word is planted. In that RG confession, it says, and the seed of life will be what? Planted. So whichever heart is fertile, the word is planted, and then it germinates and it yields great harvest. In the lives of those who have received it, the impact of the harvest is that the seed of the word does not only beautify you, is not only making impact in your life, but everybody around you is also feeling the impact that the word is making in your life. Now, what makes the investment of God's power not yield results? It's wrong thinking. Wrong thinking. Thinking that you are the one that does the work and the enemy will help you. He will just hold your hand and say, yes, it's you. Just walk a little harder. Do this. And you're just following along. And then you realize that it's always failure. Why am I failing? Why is it not working? It's just because it's wrong thinking. That's why I said when Anu read that, that scripture, it ties into this because I actually have that scripture in here. But let's read a couple of scriptures before we get there. It says Galatians chapter 3 verse 1 to 3. It says, O foolish Galatians, who has cast an evil spell on you? For the meaning of Jesus Christ's death was made as clear to you as if you have seen a picture of his death on the cross. Let me, let me ask you this one question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? Of course not. You received the Spirit because you believed the message you heard about Christ. How foolish can you be? After starting out your new lives in the spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? Why are you trying to do all of these things by your own human effort? It yields no result. Philippians chapter 3 verse 3 says, For we who worship by the spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. We rely on what God on what Christ Jesus has done for us, we put no confidence in human effort. He's re repeating that again. The arm of flesh will fail you. If you're trying to do the things that you need to do, that God has called you to do, by your human effort, is always going to fail you. It will result to nothing. But if you rely on the life-giving spirit that is at work in you, Man, you begin to see results. You begin to see things turn around. You begin to see lives change. I don't know how many of you, even in your families, like, you know, you, you've been praying for someone in your family for a long time. And you're like, God, like, I want to see their life change. I want to see them come to you. But do you know that you yourself, it begins with you changing the way that you think. Because God can use your life to make an impact in that person's life. But if we think that we're just ordinary, we live like ordinary people, so what does that person have to see in your life? Nothing. But if you walk in this power that God has given you, 
people become attracted to it. Everybody wants a good thing. Nobody wants something that looks bad. So if something is working in your life, they'll come to you and ask you, what are you doing? Why is your life like this? I remember when I was in college, there was this one girl. Um, we were part of a, a gospel choir together, and I was leading the gospel choir. I was the head. And most of the people in that gospel choir, they were not Christians. They just came to the gospel choir because they just like to sing, you know, gospel songs. So <laughs> we were doing this gospel choir, but... Because I wasn't really like a, you know, very well-versed in music at that time, I was just like, I'll just do the one that I know, which is just to teach. So I began to do Bible study during the gospel choir, and I will just teach and teach and teach. And it, it seemed like this, this one girl, we were always butting heads. It just felt like every time she would come, and it was just attitude, attitude all the time. And I'm like, God, like, what is going on? Like, why am I facing these challenges, man, like, I'm really trying here. But I kept praying for them. I'm like, God, like, I just want all of them to know you, each of them to encounter you. It wasn't until I, I graduated from college, she reached out to me, and she said to me, Adana, do you know I'm a Christian now? She was so excited. She was like, you made such an impact in my life. At that time, I was like, man, this girl is really difficult. I don't even know how to handle her. But God was already doing work. So we need to stay consistent in what we're doing. Be constant. Stay consistent in it. Don't give up. Because it's just the same thing like when you start confessing and you're not seeing it, and then you're just like, oh, my God, it's not happening. So you just stop. How can you ever see the promise? How can you ever see that change? You can't because you stopped. But if you stayed on it, continue to confess it, continue to live, continue to act like the word is true. Continue, because the, the word gives you a good report all the time. So you continue to confess that good report. Yes, I have the power of God working in me. Yes, my life is turned around. I'm not a liar. Let me use Wonyeka's one time. <laughs> you know, he says, if you're a liar... You might be lying right now. You're just lying right now. But and you, you just say, God, thank you because I'm not a liar. I'm honest. <laughs> you know, I tell the truth all the time. You get what I mean? Like, you might just be, you might be in, the, in the midst of committing sin and then you come out and just say, God, like, man, I thank you because your word is true about me. I'm not going to look at me doing those things anymore. I'm going to look at you who has turned around my life and you're working in me so powerfully, enabling me to do what you desire. Okay. Renewed mind is very important. So Romans chapter 12 verse 2, TPT says, stop imitating the ideals and opinions of the culture around you, but be inwardly transformed by the Holy Spirit through a total reformation of how you think. This will empower you to discern God's will as you live a beautiful life, satisfying and perfect in his eyes. Stop imitating the ideals, the way people think. It says you overcome them, their viewpoints. No, stop, stop. Stop going with the, 
the flow of the world. You don't have to be like everybody else. You don't have to be like everybody else. You should stand out. That's how you make an impact. That's how you influence people. People are actually attracted to the people that stand out. If you're just like everybody else, like, ah, I can go to this person or that person, and they'll just, <laughs> it's the same thing I'm getting anyway. But if you stand out, people are attracted to it. And they will come to you and ask you, why do you do things differently? So we should stop imitating everybody just to try, trying to fit in to the world. And it happens both in the younger people and older people. We know how we try to fit in in our own lives. Whether that is your friend, one of my friends was telling me um, how, you know, her dad, he will always say, like when he's talking to someone, he say, oh, my friend, he's a doctor, this, and he will start naming all the titles, and then where they went to school, and how they did this, and anybody who's not a doctor, he doesn't acknowledge. You get what I'm saying? It's like we know the things that we do in our own lives, like why are we just following the pattern of the world? What sets you apart? Be transformed by the Holy Spirit through a total reformation of how you think. And as he's transforming you, you relax, you rest, and you live. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 9 to 11 says, this, There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest. Let us therefore make every what? Effort to enter that rest. Let us therefore make every what? to enter that rest. God is calling us to a place of rest. He's calling you to relax, rest, live. Live your life. Don't worry about what's happening. Just keep praising God. Just keep doing what you're doing. Believe in the word. It will surely yield harvest. Psalm 16 verse 11 says, you will show me the path of life in your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. As you're living your life, God will begin to direct you. The Holy Spirit will now lead you to what you're supposed to do. And it will become effortless because it's the Spirit's guidance. Is no longer you depending on human effort. Proverbs 17 verse 22 says, A merry heart does good like medicine, but a broken spirit dries the bone. So God desires that we have a heart of joy all the time. And we do have joy because the Holy Spirit in us actually produces this joy. It, he produces this joy in us. It wells up within us. But a lot of times when we don't see joy is because we're focused on the wrong things. Whatever you focus on becomes vague in your eyes and it takes over. It becomes overwhelming. Right? So if you're focused on joy, joy overwhelms you. But if you're focused on how things are not going well, 
that becomes dominant in your life. So we need to focus on the right things, what God has deposited in us, so that we can actually live freely, live relaxing, live resting. So when you come out, you know, if you have bald heads, it will shine a little bit brighter, <laughs> right? I'm not talking about chocolate. <laughs> but, you know, everybody will look at you and say, they know that you're well-rested. You're not worried about anything in your life. And that's how it's supposed to be. I, I remember Kenneth Higgin, he always says, you know, I have no worries. I have, like, literally, you say, I have no worries in this life. I've cast it upon God, so now it belongs to God. It now belongs to God. So be the same way. You have no worries because he actually says in, in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 to 7, it says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. The same goes in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7. It says, casting the whole of your care, all your anxieties, all your worries, all your concerns, once and for all, on him. For he cares about you affectionately and cares about you watchfully. He's watching over you. He has affections towards you. He loves you dearly. That's why you should even enjoy your life the more. Whatever it is, he will take care of it. So you work as being led by the Holy Spirit. And life becomes more enjoyable. This is my favorite verse. And I wanted to end with this. So it's Jeremiah 29, 11. It's an encouragement to us. That we shouldn't worry. We shouldn't be in distress. It says, this is what God is telling us. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. And NLT says it this way. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster. To give you a future and a hope. Praise the Lord. Can we all rise as we pray? So Lord, I thank you so much for this opportunity for your word. To receive your word today. Thank you for reminding us. That you have fully equipped us with all that we need to live this life. You have deposited your power in our lives so that we can become an advertisement of your glory. So Lord, I pray that as we go forth in this week, that we will live with this awareness of your power, that we will walk in the truth of your word, that we will look at ourselves from your viewpoints, seeing that we are God. Because your spirit, your life-giving spirit is in us. Lord, I just pray, God, that you will continue to reveal these things to us. Open our eyes the more. 
that we will see who we are in you, see the way that we are supposed to walk, so that we can make impact on this world for your glory, that Jesus will be exalted. That when people look at us, they actually see a testimony of the work that you're doing. Thank you for everything. We're so grateful. We are so grateful. We have received a lot. And we thank you for it. And we give you all the glory. In Jesus' name we are praying. Amen.